Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to episode 357 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today's topic, the transformative power of touch in a world that sometimes feels overwhelming and disconnected. But before we embark on this journey of touch and connection, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Cozy Earth. Their sheets are not just soft and sustainable, but they're also regulate temperature. I remember one night in the heat of passionate moment, my hubby and I switched to our cozy earth sheet just to cool down. I swear to God, that's the true story. And here's a treat. Cozy Earth is offering our sexology listeners an exclusive 35% off on their site with the code sexology because good sleep and great intimacy often go hand in hand. Now back to our theme, touch. How can it anchor us, fostering a deep intimacy in our relationships? especially for men navigating the journey of aging, understanding the connection between the nervous system and arousal is vital. How can this calm, magnifying sexual pleasure? And as our bodies evolve, how does the art of touch help maintain that vibrant connection with partners? To guide us through this tactile exploration, we're honored to have with us Darshana Avila, Yes, she's a return guest. If you haven't listened to our previous episode on sensual kissing, make sure that you are checking out. An advocate for erotic wholeness, Darshana empowers women and couples to reshape their relationship to intimacy, sex, and eroticism. Her map of erotic wholeness is a pathway to personal and collective liberation echoing her philosophy that we are erotic by nature. Darshana, with her unique trauma-informed, nature-based approach, beacons us to invite more presence, pleasure, and passion into our lives. And for those eager to deeper immersion, she's crafted experiential opportunities to fully embody our eroticism. So whether you are exploring the psychology of touch or curious about the connection between sensuality and sexuality, this episode is for you. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Darshana Avila. Darshana, welcome to our show. Yeah, happy to be back with you. (laughs) I'm horrible at names. I said it correctly, right? I mean, your accent gives you a lot of grace (laughs) because... Darshana Avila, but I I kind of like how it came out of your mouth. I saw, I saw a little bit of like a sudden reaction. I was like, that's not her name. (laughs) Darshana, do I say right? Darshana, perfect, perfect. So last time we had you on the show, many of our listeners, they enjoyed the content. They found it very useful. I know from many of the things that you do, one of the things is like you help people to find connection through touch. And we all are just so distracted, overstimulated these days that like it's hard to lean into the touch as a form of intimacy. Can you tell us more about how can we do that? Yeah. Well, you know, fundamentally, we are animals. Okay. So, so I find it helpful sometimes to just really bring it down to like the basics here. We're mammals. We're animals. We literally cannot survive without touch. So, so that's a statement of fact. When it comes to our intimacy, the tricky thing for a lot of people in the the modern rhythms of life is we have a lot of extreme polarization with some people being completely touch starved and some people being really touched out and and that being incredibly normal for a lot of us. And it means that we've kind of gotten disoriented and forgotten in a deep body-based way how touch can be a form of nourishment, support, connection, pleasure of all different sorts, sexual and non-sexual. So there's really something to just understanding that it's a very basic human need and and plays an incredibly important role in our fundamental well-being to have healthy, attuned touch in our lives. Emphasis on the words healthy and attuned. Because another thing that's happened for a lot of us, especially sexually speaking in an intimate relationship, is that 
We might have gotten really conditioned to touch happening in certain ways that doesn't always feel especially attuned. Many of us learn through less than perfect examples, through peers who don't know a whole lot about it, through porn that's showing like a very particular representation of what sexual intimacy could look like, through the, I'm going to say, bad behaviors of past partners even. We learn what we think is kind of like the normal standard way of touching and being touched and don't always pause to like really slow down and question does this actually feel good to me? Does this actually seem to be feeling good to and working for the other person I'm touching? And when we slow down and bring that level of curiosity to our experience, you literally open up a Pandora's box of possibility. And there's so much that we could learn about from there, both about the ways that touch can really soothe and settle our nervous system, help us to relax more, help us to feel better resourced and regulated, but also to support us in our arousal, in our excitation, in our pleasure. And again, I want to make sure to mention all throughout, it's like there's there's sexual touch, there's non-sexual touch, and both have incredible medicine for us, incredible benefit and necessity for us. And the whole idea of attunement applies to both. So sexual or non-sexual, there's a lot of opportunity to refine your skills and really learn how to both give and receive touch in ways that can be way more satisfying than what many of us have known. Well, Darshan, you brought up so many great points. One was like sexual touch and non-sexual touch being different. So one of the things that I see a lot, I bet you see at times in your practice as well, that like there are people who have challenges in the bedroom. And the first things that disappears in the relationship is non-sexual touch because they're scared of what it's going to lead to or yes. what would that be like. And that that creates a touch-stop relationship. As you mentioned, it could be very soothing and healing for people to get touched. And when we're removing that on top of the intimacy, if that's something that couple value, that can add to the psychological pain and relational pain that they're experiencing. And I thought like it's brought up such a great point about the importance of touch and arousal, because it can be very, very complicated for people, right? For some people, as you mentioned, that people are overtouched or had some bad experiences to trauma, like any kind of misattuned touch can put them in a very uncomfortable place. And for some people, they need that in order to lean into intimacy. Can you tell us a little bit about different touch and how we can use it as a calming for our nervous system? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to invite you all listening, like maybe you even close your eyes for a minute and take this in. But like, remember a time when you were in some form of distress, physical distress, emotional distress, and maybe hopefully there was somebody there who put a calming hand on your shoulder or the back of your heart. And, and just sat there with you and you maybe took some deep breaths and your upset started to settle down a little bit. And slowly you found yourself having more capacity to deal with whatever that distress was. That is such a simplistic but powerful example of what touch can do. And most of us do this pretty regularly and readily when we're connecting, for instance, if we have kids in our lives, whether they're our own children or we spend time around them. Some of us might feel more comfortable to engage that way with a friend that we witness like having a hard time. But that very same thing when it comes into intimate partnership where maybe there's been some challenge around how you're connecting if it's maybe somebody wants more sex, somebody wants less sex. The, um, maybe the way you're having sex is not really satisfying to both of you and it's created a divide that you're looking to bridge. And so to your point, a lot of times touch all together can kind of get taken off the table, whether that happens little by little or it happens, you know, in one fell swoop, like where we stop engaging in these very basic ways with touch as a means of communication, as a means of connection as a means of helping us to regulate. So it is incredibly important to distinguish between sexual and non-sexual touch. And I would refine that a little further. Like, I don't want to talk just about non-sexual and say what it isn't. I want to talk about it as sensual touch and to distinguish sensual from sexual. 
Because those two words and those two concepts for many people have kind of gotten bound up in the meaning the same thing. Just like me, like I talk about my work, my work is erotic wholeness. And the word erotic for many people is not different from sex or is not different from sensuality. But I would argue that all of those are distinct, even if they're related. And many of us lose touch with our sensuality and our eroticism because we have treated it as one and the same as our sexuality. And when we don't give it space to be its own thing, and by being its own thing, that means we have distinct needs, we have distinct desires, we have distinct boundaries around it, then it all kind of gets suppressed or or lumped in together. and, And ultimately, we're not meeting those needs and desires and boundaries. So practically, here's what this could look like. If, if sensuality has come out of a relationship, understanding that sensuality, which is to say engaging our senses, touches one of them, but so is smell, taste, sight, sound. When we actually engage with our senses, spend time paying attention to how we like to have our senses stimulating, spend time and attention in our partnership on doing things that are pleasing to our senses, to being in a sensual exchange with one another, we make space for a whole other level of intimacy that does not have to be about sex. It doesn't have to be about goal orientation. And it invites us back into some of the innocence, the creativity, the playfulness that is often more naturally available to us either when we're young or when we're in the early stages of relationship. You know, if you imagine back to a time in your life where maybe... Maybe the idea of like cuddling and kissing and, and making out with a partner, whether this was back in your adolescent days or, you know, in, in the early stages of your current relationship, how satisfying that could feel. And there wasn't pressure, there wasn't urgency for it to escalate into more. That's allowing for a quality of innocence to come into the picture that is not about now this must become a sexual act. And many of us kind of get frozen when that pressure to escalate comes in. Often, and I'm going to speak about this in binary gender terms, often what happens is that women feel like any overture, any sensual engagement with their partner is going to be interpreted as now sex is available, whether or not they want that. And it feels like pressure and it brings up fear. And so there's a lot of shutdown. But I also encounter that a lot of men end up feeling very hesitant to bring sensuality toward a partner that they are having some difference with because they're afraid of putting pressure on their partner. They're afraid that they might cause more harm than good by reaching out for a cuddle or a back rub or whatever it may be. So when we can separate the sensual from the sexual and let that be its own experience, let that have its own magic, but we need to be clear. We need to communicate actually like very intentionally and expressly like, hey, let's spend some time skin to skin. Can I offer you a massage? Is there a particular part of your body that you want to have caressed or scratched or rubbed or squeezed? Not as a precursor to sex, but for its own sake, like really talking about it and making sure that there is a mutual agreement around what this is and what that isn't. Having those containers gives us an opportunity to return to that fundamental sensuality that is part of what it is to be human, part of what it is to be an animal, and connect with each other, bring some of the playfulness in, the experimentation, the innocence. And then we get to see if maybe, and I'm putting an emphasis on the word maybe, maybe that opens us up to wanting a sexual exploration somewhere down the line, but it doesn't have to, and it can be a complete experience unto itself. You brought up so many great points and it kind of like to your last point, I know that as sex therapists, we talk about sensate focused exercises all the time. And for our listeners, they, I bet they're familiar because we talk about it a lot, but it's a, a non-sexual touch that kind of like values that kind of like calming effect of touch with the partner. I know some people do it alone, but with this partners can also be very powerful and one thing at times I talk to my clients is that they tell me, oh, but I got an erection. I was like, because the touch was so soothing, as you said, that like calm down their nervous system. And we, when we're calming our nervous system, it's easier for arousal to show up. So it could be not even 
anything related to kind of like sexual aspect of things, but the magic of them feeling calmed down because of their partner's touch can be to arouse them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's so part of the ways that I work with people as a sexological body worker is that I am oftentimes the facilitator of sexual touch with my clients, whether that's me directly engaging with their bodies or if I'm working with a couple and I'm helping them learn how to engage with each other. And the the kind of baseline rule of engagement, if you will, and I don't like having a lot of rules in my space, but I would say maybe more to call it like a norm is the norm of relaxed arousal. And that's different than how many of us actually go toward sexual connection in our personal lives. A lot of times there is like a pretty frantic energy, whether that franticness is deriving from the hot and heavy, like, oh, I really want it, which could be super fun to play with. And I'm not saying you need to shut that down if it's there. But for a lot of us, particularly in longer term relationships, that that frantic energy can be a source of stress and pressure and expectation where it's like, oh, God, like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if I like it. Am I going to make them happy? Is this going to be okay? Am I going to maintain my erection? Am I going to like the way I'm being touched? No, all this stuff comes in and it pulls us out of the foundation of relaxation that based on what I know to be true, both professionally and I, this is true in my personal life. You know, this, this is, I know it in my sex life. When I am first and foremost, relaxed. When I serve, like when I'm connected to my body, connected to my breast, connected to my sense of desire, as well as my sense of boundary, which are all factors of true and whole relaxation. It's then that I'm most available to the excitation, to the arousal, to building up the intensity that feels good, to exploring in the more robust and creative ways that I might want to. If I'm coming in stressed, it's pretty much like I'm stacking the deck against me. So there is so much to be said for all of us learning how to slow down first and center on creating a field that is is genuinely relaxed. And for some of us, yeah, that might look like the kind of, you know, the, the, the pop culture like standards of like, take a bath and put on some soothing music and light some candles. I do all of these things. I love all of these things. I'm not knocking them. But if those are not your things, cool. What's your version of relaxation? Is your version of relaxation taking a walk or having a decent meal or making sure that the house is clean and 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 the to-do list is pretty much tended so that you can have a clear mind and clear physical space? Like there's a lot to be said for recognizing what any one of us in particular would need to feel relaxed, tending to that. But here's the thing. You can, that list can be a never ending list. So you do need to be honest and you need to be accountable to yourself and to your partner to not hide behind here are the 7,000 things I need in order to feel relaxed. Really hone in on what is truly essential for you. Take care of that. Set that as your foundation and then have a commitment to exploring what's available beyond that. Not with a particular goal or destination in mind, so much as like the wide open field of possibility of, of of living into the question, like what might happen? What might be available? What delight, what pleasure, what goodness might come my way by attending to the relaxation first? So that's been an experience, like I said, that personally and professionally, time and time again, I see the benefits of it. That is so powerful. And I think one kind of mistake, I would say, like that time's partners do is they think that they can reason out the partner from the way that they experience relaxation, right? They say like, oh, no, that's not the right way or let's try my way. It's wonderful to try different things. But it's my experience that part of it can be very primal. It goes to our childhood, the way that we were suited. So uh, the best ways often go to the way that your partner guides you to, to do. If it's a massage, if it's like cleaning the space, I think it's it's it goes a long way when we're generous with supporting our partner. That is very powerful. You know, one thing that I was wondering about when you were talking about how our kind of like we need to feel more attuned, relaxed, to feel connected with the partner. I, I, I think that's something that can evolve with the with age. I remember when I was a teenager, like leaving in Iran with that stress of religious government and everything, I was able to get aroused very quickly. 
but now I'm long term relationship my 40s and that now I need more attunement. So I think there's an element of aging and also being in the context of being the partner that you've been with for a long time. And it all kind of like it can kind of like help us and also encourage us to lean in to touch more, to be able to connect differently with our partner. Because some people, first of all, with aging for arousal, they need more touch. Secondly, like we need to be in a way, kind of like change the way we connect with our partner. We cannot have sex this hundreds and thousands of times the same way. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Well, so there's quite a few things that you just said that I wanted to comment on. One also, I, I feel like I'd be remiss not to speak to what you mentioned about being young and growing up in Iran and the fact that like the stress of the cultural political environment actually supported your arousal. That's real. Like, it's not to say that turn on does not come to some of us through more intense situations. So I just want to speak to kind of like the wide specter of possibility. If you're somebody who finds that intensity and pressure does turn you on, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not inherently a problem. But I, I agree with you that speaking particularly to a scenario of people who might be in longer term relationships, people who are getting on in their middle years or beyond their middle years and are wanting to have a more evolved experience of their sexuality, the role of attunement and attunement through touch in particular is going to increasingly become a huge one, both from the standpoint of introducing more variety and novelty so that we're not just kind of doing the same old same every single time, but also to, to being with ourselves and one another in a way that is more honoring and, and really more present. And that's a piece that it goes missing for many people, whether that's born out of trauma or that's born out of kind of the repetition of having sex in a more rote, mechanical way. Presence, this notion of truly being with is something that we have the power to convey so strongly through our touch. If I'm, you know, I often when I'm with people in, in, in person doing work, I'll do a demonstration where I touch somebody, but I look somewhere else and I just start talking about a random topic versus touching them with my eyes focused on them, with my breath synced up with them. And instead of dialoguing, maybe we're, we're nonverbal or, or if there are words, the words are very much about what is happening here and now. That's the distinction between presence and not being presence. And every single time the person I'm touching viscerally feels that difference. They feel when I'm distracted. They feel when my attention is elsewhere and they feel when I'm really there with them. So that's a super simple experiment that you all can do at home with yourself, with your partner to notice the profound impact of really presence as in this case, somewhat synonymous for attunement or a baseline for attunement. What it means to attune is that I actually, as the one who is actively giving touch, as the one who is seeking to find a harmonious, synchronistic experience with my partner, if I'm the one who wants to attune, that means to a certain extent, I'm kind of setting my own experience and preferences over here to the side. Not that I'm negating them altogether, but I'm putting them aside so that I have the availability and I have the space to actually sense, feel, watch, look, ask questions about what's going on for you. What's going to do it for you so that I can meet you there? And a lot of times when we're not accustomed to being especially present or we're not attuning, what we do is we touch people the ways that we like to be touched or the ways that are familiar to us. And we don't bother to really pay attention to what the impact on the other person is. So this is an invitation to pay attention to your impact, to really notice, does your partner seem to like it? And you would know that by, do they stay in eye contact with you? Do they tighten and clench their body or do they relax their body? Are they breathing? Are they making sounds that, that are genuinely sounds of affirmation and pleasure? Are they going mute? Paying attention to the verbal and nonverbal cues to know, does my partner like being scratched with nails or do they find that really irritating? If I'm moving really quickly, does it seem like that pace works for them or might slowing down be the more attuned way to go? You don't need to be a mind reader. When in doubt, ask. 
it's a beautiful and wonderful skill to cultivate, to be able to learn how to really read another person's body language and nonverbal skills. But the reality is that most of us are going to need the verbal guidance and confirmation of what is or is not working in order to trust more in our nonverbal attunement. So creating just the norm and the permission of saying like, how's that feeling for you? That's a question that I love. Another question that I love is, how could this be even better for you? Because it actually invites the other person to consider what they like, what they need, and to take some ownership and take some responsibility for that. If I say to you, doesn't mean like, I'm like, what could make this even better for you? And you turn in, you know, like, let's say I'm rubbing your back and, and, and you're like, hmm. You know, I'd, I'd really like for you to stop on my upper back and give me some firm pressure around my shoulders. They're feeling tense right now. I might never have done that if you didn't told me or, and, and thus you telling me creates the possibility of me touching you in an attuned way. Let's bring it to the front body. Let's bring it to the genitals. A lot of times what happens is with a vulva, people go straight for the clitoris. With a penis, people go straight for like a very quick friction-based stroking up and down the shaft. That's not, generally speaking, the most attuned way to touch these body parts. What feels good in the body to most people is to start with a contact that is a bit broader in focus. So that can look like an entire hand resting on the vulva or over a soft penis. It can look like gentle caresses that go around the inner thighs, the low belly, the surrounding area, and gradually start to hone in more and more on the sensitive bits. It almost always looks like making sure you've got enough lube. And and that goes for all the genders and all the genitals. Lubrication lets touch feel more fluid and more smooth and can introduce a whole new range of sensation. So instead of doing what you've always done, talk about, experiment with some new ways of bringing touch in that actually feel like they're pleasurable instead of just kind of following the script. Anyway, I feel like that was a lot of words, so I'm going to (laughs) pause. No, I love it. I thought you brought up so many points. So going like, I'm going to definitely go to the last point, but to the first point that you were talking about, like backdrop in a way, right? I think it's just can be such a tough way of giving feedback. Because first of all, women, like I think if it's a heterosexual relationship, women are kind of like socialized to please and fake at times. And it's just like, you know, we don't have the language. Sometimes unless something is really bad, yep. we're not saying anything. So unless I'm saying, ouch, like when you're massaging my back, then like I, I would endure. That's not what we want to do. But what would be a gentle verbal redirection when someone's doing something that's going in the wrong way? And how can we receive it in a positive way. First of all, totally affirming what you just said, that many of us have really narrow vocabulary when we come, when we we think about it. We feel very limited in our vocabulary to actually talk in a nuanced way about what feels good to us. Plus the social conditioning that you just gave a voice to where often we're focused on being available to the pleasure of another person so we're not actually considering what's pleasing to us. And, and if we're not considering it and we don't have vocabulary for it, it makes a whole lot of sense that it's going to be hard to talk about it. So I just want to validate that for people who might have that experience. Um, it's not a thing to feel personal shame around so much as I would invite that as an opportunity to say, okay, like here's a place for me to grow. Here, here's a place where I grow both for my own benefit, but also for the mutual benefit of my partnership. Because when we do have more robust vocabulary and we do actually empower ourselves and our partners to communicate and dialogue more freely, again, we're just opening up more possibilities for how connection and intimacy and pleasure might become available to us. And it's a learning curve. So just loving everybody where they're at. Okay, that said, to answer your question about like, what are some of the ways you can speak about it? When it comes to sensation, We can create some broad stroke categories for sensation and then think about vocabulary words for each of them. So sensation can be pressure. So a way to adjust pressure would be, I'd like that to be a little bit lighter. I'd like that to be a little bit firmer. Another variable for sensation is speed. Can you go a little slower? Can you go a little faster? 
Another variation is direction. That's one that people often don't think about, and it can take a little more nuance to really track what feels good in your body. But consider that there's generally speaking going to be a very different experience if you're stroking up to down, down to up, left to right, right to left. Those are all specifications that you can actually learn how to give. And our bodies are not ever perfectly symmetrical and perfectly balanced. It's true, for instance, for many vulva owners, the left side of the clitoris is more sensitive than the right. Not all of us know this. Not all of us have experimented with us. Give it a try for yourself. Just notice it. maybe one side of your clitoris likes to be stroked a little bit more than the other. And so those are the kinds of things that you can do. Speed, pressure, direction. Also, the quality of touch that's being given. There is so much nuance here. There's not just one way to touch. So already in this conversation, I think I heard myself use examples like scratching, caressing, massaging, squeezing. There's laying a hand in stillness with variable pressure. But there's using different fingers, you know, so and, and this is true for vulvas and for penises. It's a different experience when you do something with your full hand versus with your thumb, versus with your pinky finger. So actually using different, you know, different parts of your, your whether it's your hands or parts of your body for touch can be another way to introduce things. Also, beyond using the body and things like pressure, speed, and direction, there's bringing in tools and toys, other implements that impart different sensation. So that could be feathers and furs and silks and things that are really soft and and tickly and delightful. That could be metal, plastic, wood, leather, hot, cold. So a lot of times I think people can have very kind of sensationalized ideas about what kink is and what sensation play is and what it is to introduce these kind of elements. And I want to like invite the possibility of like really lowering the bar there that most of us have a house full of creative things that we could bring into the bedroom with us. The kitchen in particular is a wonderful place to go searching. Grab a fork, grab a wooden spatula, grab a scarf out of your closet and notice what it's like just to simply introduce the tactile experience of some different materials and see what that does for your body. It does not have to be like a heavy, like whips and chains and bondage type of experience, although completely more power to you if that's your thing. Happy to have that conversation with you. I'm actually just talking about this at the level of basic sensation, that there are ways that we can be more creative and more experimental to help us get more of a sense of what we like and be able to get it for ourselves and give it to our beloveds when we so choose. You you mentioned so many great things. You talked about like kind of integrating what you have in the home because at, at times I get like messages from people that I'm coming from the countries that sex toys are illegal, all those sort of things, which is yeah. like, very unfortunate. But I think we all have so many things we can use as pervertible enhancements in our own bedroom. I think you were talking also about the touching your partner, kind of starting from a broader area, zooming in. What I've noticed that most people are very feeling very insecure about their tactile kind of sense, kind of like touching touch skills. Because yeah. what they've seen that it's like you have to do have like there's a script that you don't have. Like you gotta have one, two, three, like what do you see in porn? These three touches and then there's gonna be a huge climax for the female partner if you're having sex with a woman or vulva owner. And that's not how it works. Right? Everyone's boss is different. So there are some basics that people need to know, but also, as you mentioned, big part of it is attunement. Yes, a hundred percent. It is not one size fits all. Every body is unique. It's both true that there are certain fundamentals of touch that are really good baseline, foundational. This is a great way to begin. And then what's also always true is that anytime you're connecting with a new person, or that the person that you've been connecting with for 25 years, but now you're choosing to do it with new eyes and more attunement, there's always going to be particulars to learn about each individual. It's not ever going to follow a single script. But you did a couple of the things that I would say are fundamentals. 
It's moving from more peripheral, broad touch. So that could be a whole body. You know, you can start with, I, I would recommend touching places where we have either bigger muscles or more bony structures as a starting point. This is part of why hugging makes sense to a lot of people, right? Because like you're actually focused on arms or contacting shoulders and back. You've got the the broad plate of your chest coming into contact. So it's parts of the body that can feel a little less charged. And it's not true for everybody. Hugs can be sensitive for some. But but we begin with that more wide peripheral touch before we put our tongue in somebody's mouth, before we put our hands directly on someone's nipples or someone's genitals. And then this can go from the macrocosm of the entire body to the microcosm of particular regions. So for instance, when it comes to the mouth or when it comes to the breast and chest or when it comes to the genitals and the anus, Pay attention to the surrounding area and touch progressively moving toward those more sensitive parts. A few kisses on the cheek and a few kisses on the mouth before the tongue. Some attention to the whole of the chest and the breast with broad, wide open hands or soft caresses before you move directly into nipple contact. Again, with the genitals, I'll echo what I said before because it really bears repeating. Going with a straight beeline for somebody's clitoris or the head of their penis or even their shaft, that's a lot of intensity that often is a bit jarring for our nervous systems, whether or not we realize it. So spending a little time or maybe a lot of time exploring, curiously touching, introducing different sensation to the surrounding areas as a means of truly warming the body and the nervous system up, getting ready for more arousal, more stimulation to come in, and then checking for readiness. And if there's not a clear nonverbal sign that you 100% feel comfortable reading, ask. I mean, I ask my clients all the time. I, for instance, would never penetrate a client without verbal consent to do so. And I don't care how many times I've been in a session with this client. So if I'm moving from having to stroke their inner thighs and their pubic mound and their belly and rubbed and touched and tickled and and gotten things warmed up, I always say, "Are you ready for penetration? Are you would would you like direct genital contact now?" There's no harm in asking. I think a lot of times that becomes a stumbling point for couples in partnered sex, like the idea that if you ask a a kind of basic pointed question, that somehow it's going to kill the mood. And I would say that unless you are consenting not to ask, which means that you have had an intentional conversation where both people have agreed, yes, you can put your fingers inside of me. Yes, you can make a quick grab for my cock, like whatever it is, without asking me. Unless you consented to not asking, the default should be asking. Use your words. And watch what happens when you start to normalize that and it creates a greater sense of safety. It creates a greater sense of attunement, like you're actually interested in one another's experience. You're, you're checking to make sure that you're moving at a pace that works. You create a more synchronistic and harmonious, hopefully highly pleasurable experience between you. That, that's going to really lay the groundwork so that the touch itself is meeting the the other person where they want to be. I I agree with you. I think that's very powerful when when you ask someone, and that also you can do with sexy as part of like dirty talk narrative you're doing with a partner. And I love that. Like it's not about being unsure, right? Like that's like you're you're helping people with cultivating kind of erotic energy and that's like I and I bet you're amazing at it but you still ask so it's different than about it's not about the person's skill it's about kind of like asking permission yes yes and I would argue permission is a word I want to be really careful with it's nuanced because there's a difference between permission and consent and what we're actually wanting to be checking in for every step of the way even with our established partners is consent Because consent is dynamic and it's ongoing and it's changeable. And so even, you know, when I think about like the, the, my, my most experienced lovers and I 
still use words with each other. We still will say like, do you want this? And to your point, it can be sexy as hell. It could be super dirty talk because then you could turn it into like, oh, like you want this, don't you? You know, and, and, and you can play with the energy around it. It's not because I'm doubting my own skill or capacity. It's not because I'm unsure. It's really because I want my partner to know that I am tracking them and I am in it for them as much if not more than I'm in it for myself. And that that sense of attunement and the safety that that imparts opens up so much more capacity, so much more pleasure potential in us. Safety, you know, it's an interesting thing because safety is not something that can ever be guaranteed. That's the reality of life. That being said, there are a lot of things that we can do to signal safety, to create a safe enough environment or a safer environment in our relationships. And knowing that the other person genuinely cares, knowing that they are really interested in attuning to us, the amount of safety that that creates is one of the biggest aphrodisiacs out there. So to your point, like it's not about a lack of confidence or a lack of skill on our own parts when we ask. It's actually about making sure our partner knows we care that much and we are that available to and responsive to whatever their present moment experience is. I agree with you 100%. And I think the other point before we close I want us to talk about is using sex toys. So this is part of the male sexual series that people request that, like a, a penis owner series. And I know one of the things that are challenging for people is that they know, like, if they incorporate a sex tech, sex toy, it can make the experience so much better because, like, we cannot necessarily compete with the machine. And also, it can help us kind of free us up to explore different things. But many people, kind of especially again going to the heterosexual dynamic, I hear at times men are very insecure. They feel like if they're introducing this, it means, like, they're not good enough or their partner might not be able to experience pleasure without it. How can people get comfortable with that? Is that something you suggest? How can they see if it's a good fit for them or not? First and foremost, it's not a competition. (laughs) Really, I mean, I'm laughing, but I'm saying it in all seriousness. It is not a competition. I happened to be in New York this summer and I went to the Museum of Sex. And why I'm referencing this is because I'm using that as my qualification when I tell you that sex toys have literally existed forever. They have an incredible collection of toys there that date back hundreds and thousands of years, pre-modernization, pre-industrialization. Sex toys, sex tools have been part of human sexuality for a very long time. It's not a competition. It's not an either or. It's a way of introducing a more robust set of experiences for people of all genders and all genitals. I think part of the problem is that our modern day marketing has gone real heavily on the direction of vibrators and toys for women and for vulva owners and not really having a gender-balanced way of marketing to us and not always marketing. And I'm emphasizing that word because I want you to see what this is. This has been shaped by capitalism. Our ideas and our beliefs that sex toys are competition, that they're dangerous, that they're limiting or what have you, that, that that's not actually a statement of fact so much as it's what we've been conditioned to believe by ad agencies and companies that are in it for profit and things of that nature. There's been a real moving of the needle on that, I think, in more recent times, particularly as more and more toys for penis owners become available, more and more toys that are designed for couples use become available. So I love seeing the evolution of like the sex toy industry on the whole. And what I would say for folks listening here who might have some of that fear, that insecurity, that sense that it, it, you know, it's not as good, quote unquote, if you use toys or, or what have you. Can you just kind of step back enough and question your own beliefs about it? Why wouldn't we want to bring things in that could add more pleasure to our and or our partner's experience? Like, really, I'm asking that question. Why? Why would you not want your partner to feel good in their body? Why would you not want to try 
out some different and creative ways to feel good in your own body or have that be a shared experience and really sit with that question. Because I think most of us, if we're, if we're willing to be honest and we're willing to dig a few layers into that question, it won't take us very long to recognize that it's a bunch of conditioning and it's not really based in fact so much as fear. And if we can transform that or transmute that into some curiosity and a willingness to be creative, once again, we find ourselves in a position where in the same way that I suggested, like grab the fork and the spatula out of the kitchen, try out a cock ring, try out a, a partnered vibrator that can be used for penis and vagina intercourse, try out insertable toys versus external toys, try some different things to see like, does my body respond well to this? Does my partner's body respond well to this? If the answer is no, okay, don't do it. Worst case scenario, you're out a few dollars of whatever you invested in a toy that you don't want to use. On that note, I would say that there is a very wide range and wide array of toys that exist at various price points. It, it, some of it's quite expensive and pricey. So what I often encourage people to do is to really seek out a, a, in this case, often sex toy shops that are centered on women and or queer community tend to also bring with them a high educational component and like really freaking stellar customer service. Go to them. Actually walk into the store. And if it's your first time ever doing so, tell the clerk. Say, I'm new to this. This is overwhelming. This is scary. I guarantee you that like, so I live in Oakland, California. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we have good vibrations here, which is kind of one of the iconic sex stores that is centered around this version of education and customer service. We have Feelmore here, which is a Black queer-owned, very, very local sex toy shop. If you can find something equivalent to that where you are, I think you're going to have your mind blown by by what's possible when you're just willing to lean into a little vulnerability and curiosity and show up and say, help, help me, help me learn what I might not know about. Help me find some things to try and experiment and the benefit of actually going to a store versus ordering online is that before you shell out 50, 75, $200 on something, you actually get to hold it in your hand. You get to feel the weight of it. You get to feel the intensity and the speed of the vibration of it. Even if you're not inserting it into your body, you can feel it against your belly or against your hand. And, and you can have a sense through your own tactile sense, like, does this seem like something I might want to do? And again, any experiment, whatever the outcome of it is, we're learning something. Whether we learn that we want more of it and we like it or we don't want more of it because we don't like it, there's still value in that. So the willingness to experiment and to see it simply as opportunities for more, more pleasure, more range rather than a competition is going to go a long way. I love that you brought up the sex toys, like women-owned, queer-owned sex toy shop because I know so many of my very well-known colleagues, sex therapists, sex educators. There were people who worked at the shops. <laughs> so you can get free, amazing sex education just going into my, my cold, by the sex toy, the same way that like they would do, you would never get that experience about sewing, right? If you go to a <laughs> retail store. So it's like one of a kind. I highly recommend it for people to go into the stores and kind of like talk to the educators in a way there to see like what might be a good fit. Well, I can talk to you for hours. I know you're wealth of great information. I know you started a wonderful community. So if our listeners want to learn from you about your content, what are some of the ways that they can access that? Mm, thank you. So my website is a great place to go to get onto my email list. It's Darshana Avila, my name, dot com. I am not as heavily on social media these days because it's a tricky place to be as a sex educator. But I do have a Mighty Networks community, the Erotic Explorers Collective, where I actually live teach and guide sessions on a regular basis. It's a super welcoming community that you can drop into events when you want to. So checking out the erotic wholeness community and the specifically the erotic explorers collectives or membership component. All of this information can be found on my website. 
I love hearing from people. So really send a message. Let me know what you liked about this conversation. Let me know what you're wanting. My offerings range from private practice where I dive deep with individuals and couples to group programming and this membership. So there's a lot of different ways to lean in. And it's genuinely like my honor and and pleasure and privilege to be of service in this way. So I welcome folks to reach out if they're inspired. Well, the link for Joshana's website will be in the show notes. Check out her content. She's amazing. And thank you so much for coming on this show and being so generous with all of this wonderful information. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and you learned a few things about the art and power of touch. For those couples out there, especially those who've shared many years together, it's easy to fall into routines. But remember, our bodies are vast landscapes of sensation waiting to be explored. Here's a simple yet profound exercise I share with my own clients. The touch discovery journey. Set aside a dedicated time, turn off all distractions, and take turns with your partner. One person closes their eyes while the other varies their touch, from light fingertip grazes to gentle squeezes. No talking, just feeling. The aim, discovering new areas and types of touch that elicit pleasure. You'd be surprised how much simple shifts can bring novelty and depth to your intimate moments. But intimacy isn't just about touch. It's also about environment you cultivate. And that brings me to a shout out to our amazing sponsor, Cozy Earth. After a night of rediscovering touch, wrap yourself in the luxurious Cozy Earth streets. They've been my sanctuary for restorative sleep and they can be yours too. Remember, as a special gift to our sexology listeners, you can get 30% off sidewide at Cozy Earth using the code SEXOLOGY. It's all about curating the perfect environment for intimacy and rest. Thank you so much for being with us today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.